Welcome to the Temple Baptist Church Podcast, coming to you from Swan River, Manitoba, Canada. This week, we join Pastor Neil Effa as he preaches from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, in the ninth part of a sermon series called Character Under Construction, with this message from August 4th titled, Avoiding Regret. The Home and Garden TV channel airs numerous home renovation shows such as Fixer Upper, Hometown, and Rustic Rehab. Each show normally begins with a house in dire need of repair or a homeowner wanting to make great major changes to their home. During the renovation period, the show chronicles the progress as well as the setbacks that the, count, uh, the contractor encounters. And this construction phase may take several weeks or even months before the home is ready for move-in or ready to be put up for sale. At the end of the show, the reveal takes place. This is when the homeowner, as well as the television viewer, is showing the end result of the renovation project. And the response of each own homeowner is often the same. They acknowledge that although during the reconstruction phase there were setbacks and inconveniences and challenges, the end result was worth it. Although it took much time, effort, and work, and although they may have gone over budget, they were glad that they went through with a renovation. They were delighted with the outcome. In some ways, these home renovation television shows parallel the Christian life. As followers of Jesus, our lives are under construction. Our lives resemble a construction project. And although we are better than we once were, we are not yet what we ought to be. We are a work in progress. We are being formed and shaped into something that is not yet complete. And what is it that we are to become? What are we being shaped into? The Bible tells us that our lives are to be conformed into the image of Jesus. And what does that mean? Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Our character is to reflect the likeness of Jesus. Our lives are grounded in Jesus Christ through a personal relationship with him as Savior. And because of our relationship with Christ, our character can and must undergo a transformation. Character transformation is an important aspect of living as God desires us to live. Over the last several months, we've been studying the first chapter of 2 Peter. And in this chapter, he emphasizes the, 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 necessary or the, yeah, the necessity for character transformation in the lives of those who are followers of Jesus. And in the opening verses, he emphasizes two important foundational truths. He says that God has given to us every necessary resource to grow in Christlikeness. Therefore, you and I have no excuse for not growing in our Christian life. If we are not growing spiritually, if our lives are not being conformed to the image of Jesus, it simply means that we are not taking hold of the resources that Christ has given to us those which are at our disposal. And the second foundational truth about Christian growth, which Peter gives us, is that we must make every effort to grow towards spiritual maturity. Like a disciplined athlete, we must strive to become like Christ in our attitude, 
in our thoughts, in our behavior, in our habits, in our conduct. But we need to put in the effort. Unfortunately, you and I can become lazy. We can become complacent and content with our present spiritual state. And as a result, Peter urges us to put in the work necessary to grow spiritually. Well, after giving to us these two important foundational truths, Peter specifically details the Christian graces that are to be evident in our lives through grace-driven effort on our part. And he lists seven qualities that we are to add to our faith, that we are to supplement our faith with. Now, again, I want to emphasize, we do not add these qualities to our lives to earn God's salvation through Christ. Rather, we add these qualities to our lives as a result of our salvation, that which we have experienced through faith in Jesus. Because of our faith in Jesus, we desire to become like him. And therefore, Peter urges us then to add to our faith virtue. Virtue is that moral courage to do the right thing, regardless of the temptation to sin and the pressures to conform to this world. And we're to add to our faith knowledge as spiritual discernment, being able to understand what is right and what is wrong in all things. And self-control, controlling our passions instead of our passions controlling us. Self-control says no to our sinful passions and drives. And he says, add to your faith steadfastness. In other words, press on in the sufferings, the sorrows, and the storms of life, even when you feel like giving up. And godliness, godliness is living all of our lives in the presence of God, under the authority of God, and for the honor and for the glory of God. He tells us to add to our faith brotherly affection, the love which Christians cherish for each other as brothers. Why? Because we're God's family. We are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And then he says love. That selfless, sacrificial, unconditional giving of ourselves for the benefit of mankind, for humankind. As you view that list of qualities in Peter's first chapter of his second epistle, is there one or are there two or perhaps several that are lacking in your life? For example, do you lack moral courage? Are you given to compromise when it comes to your faith and, and, and your values? Do you have discernment as to what is right and what is wrong? Are you out of control when it comes to your sinful passions and drives? Do you, do they control you or do you control them? Do you give up when things get tough in the sufferings, the storms and sorrows of life? Do you recognize and submit to God's authority over your life? Or do you live as if you are the captain of your own soul? Do you value and cherish your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or are you indifferent toward them, even to the point of neglecting to meet together with them for mutual fellowship and service and worship, teaching and prayer? Does your life exemplify the selfless, unconditional, and sacrificial love for others, which Christ demonstrated to you. So what are those qualities that are lacking in your life? What are the graces that need to be ever increasing within you? What is that which you must be adding to your faith? We could end the series at this point, but Peter has more to say to us about the necessity of character development. 
about our need to grow in holiness. In verses eight and nine of his second epistle, chapter one, we read for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. You may have heard the essay a boy wrote about a mule. In his essay, he wrote, the mule is a hardier bird than the goose or turkey, and yet different. He wears two wings on either side of his head. He has two feet to walk with and two more to kick with and is awful backward about going forward. Now, many of us could find some similarity to the mule in our own disposition. We are awful backward about going forward. We know our own hearts and we know that there is a stronger inclination in going backward in our spiritual life than going forward. Often we are adverse to doing the things that will bring about spiritual growth to our lives. But Peter doesn't want us to come to the end of our life and realize that we should have been moving forward, that we should have been more diligent to supplement our faith with these qualities. He wants us to avoid regret. And therefore he goes to great pains to remind us that the effort that we put into our spiritual growth will be worth it. He makes it clear that the effort that brings about growth will be profitable. There are some very positive things that happen in time and eternity when we add to our faith. But Peter emphasizes these things by stating them negatively. He says by stating them negatively, he wants us to avoid coming to the end of our lives and uh, experiencing regret. What regrets then do we avoid by adding to our faith, these qualities? Well, first of all, Peter says, by adding to our faith, we avoid ineffectiveness. This is how he puts it. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. Now, the older versions of the Bible translate the word ineffective as barren. The same word is translated in other contexts as idle. Barren is a, a negative word that has a real heartache attached to it. The word is commonly associated with a woman who has been frustrated in her desire to conceive and bear children. The Old Testament contains numerous accounts of barren women, women such as Sarah and Rachel and Hannah. And in their barren state, they are presented as women who are unfulfilled. The longing of their heart was to conceive and bear children. And there's a parallel to the Christian life. Just as a woman senses that it is a part of her destiny to be a mother. So a Christian senses that there is a purpose for their life. A growing Christian knows that there is something that God wants to accomplish through them. This was the motivation for Rick Warren's book, the purpose driven life. He began that book by saying, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you know, if you want to know why you are placed in this planet, you must begin with God. 
You were born by his purpose and for his purposes. Peter is saying that by supplementing our faith with these qualities, we will save ourselves from uselessness, from ineffectiveness and barrenness. We will discover God's purpose for us. We will then use his gifts and resources for his honor and his glory. We will not be consumed with ourselves. And as a result, there will be a sense of satisfaction, a sense of fulfillment, knowing that our lives counted for something beyond ourselves. So if you want to avoid regret, if you want to avoid coming to the end of your life and, and seeing that you were ineffective, Peter's saying, add to your faith, supplement your faith with these seven qualities, these virtues that I've just listed. But he would go on to say, that by adding to our faith, we avoid fruitlessness. Again, let's go back to verse eight. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, some translations and perhaps yours use the word, uh, rather than using the word unfruitful, use the word unproductive. The Greek word used by Peter means to be without fruit. A tree which is unproductive is a tree without fruit. As Peter writes this verse and includes that negative unfruitful, I wonder if he had in mind the words Jesus spoke the last evening he spent with his disciples before his crucifixion. As he gathered with them, he, he spoke about fruitfulness And in so doing, he used the illustration of the vine and the branches. John 15 verses one to five read, I am the true vine, the words of Jesus. I am the true vine. And my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you're clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me. And I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me, I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. In these verses, Jesus made it abundantly clear that his plan And his heart's desire for each of of us is to live fruitful lives. Not only that we bear fruit or that we bear more fruit, but he says that we would bear much fruit. The word fruit is used over 55 times in the New Testament alone. And when the word fruit is used in scripture, it is often connected to the fruit of character. As an example, Peter connects it to the fruit of character as he lists those seven qualities, the seven virtues that we are to be display in our lives. And Paul in Galatians chapter five, as he talks about the fruit of the spirit, talks about the fruit of character. But it's also connected to the fruit of conduct. The apostle Paul talks about the fruit of righteousness, living righteous and holy lives displayed in the way that you and I live in our habits and our practices. But it's also connected to the fruit of converts. Again, in the book of Romans chapter one, verse 13, 
Paul talks about the fruit of evangelism. And you and I know that Jesus gave to us a great commission that we are to go and make disciples of all nations. We're to be fruitful in our terms of evangelism. A fruitful life is a result of God working through our lives to fulfill his purposes in the world. And the only way we can avoid unfruitfulness is by continuing to add to our faith these qualities. As we grow in our Christian life, we will prevent unproductiveness and will assure fruitfulness in every area of our life. And this is reason enough to make every effort to add to our faith these seven qualities, regardless of pain or the cost involved. But we must also add to our faith to avoid nearsightedness. Listen to how Peter puts it. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Nearsightedness, also known as myopia, is a very common physical condition in which the light coming into the eye is not focused properly onto the retina, making it difficult to see objects far away. The condition is usually caused by an elongation of the eyeball that occurs over time. But nearsightedness is not only a physical condition. According to Peter, it is also a spiritual condition. He is telling us that this condition happens when a person does not make every effort to grow spiritually. The person with spiritual nearsightedness has an earthly and a temporal vision rather than an eternal and heavenly vision. The things of earth are in their sight and the things of eternity are out of their sight. They have no perception or sense of the things of the eternal realm. And as a result, all of life is lived for earthly pleasure and earthly gain. In fact, Peter is even more specific than that. He says that if we fail to grow spiritually, we have become so nearsighted that we are as good as blind. We are actually living as if we were unbelievers who are really blind spiritually. Peter's point seems to be that a Christian preoccupied with the short term on what they want out of the moment immediately in front of them has lost the ability to see life from any kind of eternal perspective. Those who set aside the positive traits that he previously listed have forgotten that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Again, the idea seems to be that of overlooking who we are and what our lives are for. We still see participating in sin or, or less than Christ-like behaviors as normal. Instead, we should see those as things that we have been cleansed from, which we have power to move on from. How sad when believers who have been saved by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, forget who they are in Christ. How tragic when our eyes become blinded to our sanctified position in Jesus Christ how he has elevated us into his family as sons, joint heirs with him. What a travesty when we forget that we have been cleansed from all unrighteousness by faith in his sacrificial death and glorious resurrection. When we become 
nearsighted spiritually. When we have this spiritual condition, we're blinded to our position in Christ. Again, it's critical to remember that Peter is addressing believers, men and women who are saved by faith in Christ and who will spend eternity with God. The tragic loss, however, of abandoning these qualities, living only for ourselves is a loss of opportunity. It's not a question of losing salvation, but of failing to become who we can be in the here and now used as God intended to fulfill his purposes on earth. If in your life, the things of God have become distant and dull, it may well be what you need is to become more serious about spiritual growth. Adding to your faith brings spiritual sight with a focus not on the here and now, but a focus on eternity. If you are a follower of Jesus, I have no doubt that your longing and your desire is to live an effective, useful, productive, fruitful life. I am sure that if I asked each of you individual, individually and privately, if you desired your life to be fruitful and productive, you would answer me in the affirmative. You would say, of course, I want my life to count for eternity. And if you're living an effective spiritual life, I encourage you to continue to do so. Don't give up. Continue to put in the necessary effort as you partner with the Holy Spirit, drawing upon the strength that only he can provide. Keep increasing in these areas that Peter has spoken of and has written about. But if you're not growing spiritually, I want to remind you that it won't happen automatically. It won't happen instantaneously. You need to make the decision to grow. You must make every effort to supplement your faith in Jesus with these seven graces. Don't come to the end of your life and look back with regret. Regretting that you didn't put more effort into your Christian walk. Regretting that you became complacent and lazy. Regretting that you didn't appropriate the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Regretting that you never took the time or put in the effort to discover your purpose or your giftedness for ministry. Regretting that you became so consumed with the things of this world. Regretting that you took for granted your salvation from sin through faith in Jesus. Regretting that you made life all about you rather than about God. The Bible assures us that one day we will all stand before God to give account of our life. As a believer, we will not be judged concerning our salvation. That has been assured for us through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can place our confidence in that. But we will give account for our deeds, for our fruit or lack of fruit. What from your life and my life will be revealed on that day? Alfred Nobel, who lived from 1833 to 1896, is best known for the Nobel Peace Prize. Less well known is the fact that Alfred Nobel also invented dynamite. As well as a chemist, engineer, and innovator, he was a weapons manufacturer. In 1888, 
Alfred's brother Ludwig died. A French newspaper erroneously published Alfred's obituary. It condemned him for his invention of dynamite, stating the merchant of death is dead. Dr. Alfred Nobel, who became rich by finding ways to kill more people faster than ever before, died yesterday. Alfred Nobel was devastated by the foretaste of how he would be remembered. His last will and testament set aside the bulk of his estate to establish the Nobel Prizes. He gave the equivalent of U.S. $250 million to fund such prizes. Alfred Nobel had the rare opportunity to evaluate his life near its end and live long enough to change its assessment. You and I have been given an opportunity to assess our life. We've been given that opportunity through the study of those seven qualities, those seven virtues that Peter urges us to supplement our faith with, to add to our faith. As we do the assessment, what changes need to be made? What from this day forward will we do to make our lives count so that when we stand before our heavenly father, we will offer to him a life of fruitfulness, a life of effectiveness. And so the question I leave with you to ponder this morning and throughout this week and to act upon what steps will you take so that you may lead an effective, productive and fruitful life. Let me once again remind you and point you to the words of the Apostle Paul that will help us to answer that question. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given to us that which is necessary to be productive and fruitful and effective in our Christian life. Father, I thank you that we have no excuse for not growing spiritually. And so forgive us when we have become lazy or complacent when we have forgotten what we have been delivered from, when we have forgotten our standing, our spiritual position with you because of our faith in Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that as we, that we would live, live a life that would avoid regret so that when we come to the end of our life and look back, we would not live with regret or be overcome with regret and remorse and shame but rather that we would realize that through the power of your spirit, as we supplemented our faith with these seven graces, we lived lives that were fruitful, productive, and honoring to you. I ask that we would allow your spirit to search our hearts, to stir within us, and to give us the courage and motivation to do what we need to do in order to live those productive lives for your honor and for your glory. 
For it's in the name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior, that I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We hope we were able to provide wisdom and insight in your faith journey. If you would like to connect with us, you are welcome to join our service every Sunday morning at 1030. For more information, you can find us at facebook.com slash TBC Swan River. And if you would like to find more episodes of our podcast, go to anchor.fm slash Temple Baptist Church or search on your favorite podcast app.